Kentucky Commons Radio Hour. I'm Michael Moeller. I am not joined by David or John today. Uh, instead, I'm actually in Austin, Texas, specifically at Austin Beerworks, uh, where I am joined by two special individuals. One you've already heard from before, Kenzie Bernard. Um, you you are. Spelled, you said my name wrong. <laughs> no, I didn't. Bernhard. 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 I heard, I heard Mick, Mick, Mick Bernard. Yeah. Just, yeah. Kenzie Bernhard. There you go. Thank you. Okay. As a second time guest, I would like to get my name right. Uh, well, no, this is your second time guest hosting. So okay. that's that's even better. Uh, and then also Michael Graham, uh, co-founder uh, of uh, Austin Beer Works. I believe you also have a hand in sales and marketing. Michael, is that right? On a, on my business card, yeah. I don't know how much I actually do, but but co-founder, for sure, that's indisputable. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Um, yeah, so we're here uh, in the barrel room of Austin Beer Works in Austin, Texas. Uh, really appreciate you. Uh, we're, we're, there's, there, is there like, uh, like a train whistle going on right now? Graham, or? you can explain what that is. I don't know if I can explain it, but it, we have a sort of a call response system here. If somebody's switching from hot water to cold water or starting to use uh, cleaning chemicals or something, I don't. I think it evolved pretty naturally over time, but it's mostly just screams and scary sounds that a normal person wouldn't know what to do with, but it seems to work here between our, and our it's, it's a fun thing to learn about when you're walking through the production and you're new here and they just scream in you about, um, you, you get scared yeah. and you're just like, what is happening? And they're like, oh, we do this when we, and I'm like, and as much as you hear it in the background, as you walk past it and they do it, it still scares you every time. So Kind of like walking through a zoo and different animals making different sounds and what is going on. And then eventually you just get used to it, I'm sure. Yeah. As as the zookeeper of the brewery. (laughs) Um, So Austin Beer Works has been around for a while now, 2011, I believe. Yeah, we sold our first beer in May of 2011. So before that, just generally speaking, what were you doing? Me personally? Yeah. So my job prior to Austin Beer Works, I, um, I grew up in Austin. I went to college and University of Colorado in Boulder. Got a geophysics degree there, came back to Austin with a sort of a plan to get a graduate degree, but long story, that didn't end up happening. And I uh, I got really into disc golf while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So I got a job at a local disc golf store called Disc Nation here in town and got actually a job with the city parks and rec department, um, helping to sort of uh, rebuild some courses around town. And it was during that time that we started talking about opening up a brewery. I mean, if you went to school in Boulder, I mean, there were some breweries over there that were already kind of making names for themselves. So was that an influence just right away? Oh, it was huge. Yeah. I remember I was not a huge beer drinker growing up. Um, I was just used to Lone Star and whatever the cheapest, <laughs> yeah. you know, the cheapest beer was, you know, was probably what was available at a, at a party. And I remember pretty specifically, yeah, going to uh, just a house party in Boulder um, the first year there. And and uh, somebody gave me a beer and it was one, it was not pale yellow. It was sort of like a dark copper color. And I was like, what is, you know, what is this? And like, oh, it's a, it's a beer called single track. Uh, and it was just a, like a copper, a copper ale. I tried it and I was like, well, kind of blew my mind. It was like, wow, I didn't know beer could taste like anything other than, <laughs> you know, than, uh, than Lone Star. Uh, so that opened my eyes and, and just then you're kind of surrounded in beer culture in, in Colorado. And the geology department there actually has an annual beer budget while they're, they have a little bar downstairs 
which you don't learn about until you're a, you know, an upperclassman. But also they would bring beers on like a, all that we, we took a lot of like field trips to into the mountains and like weekend camping trips to go see certain geology, you know, geology features. But they would always bring like a little, like a mini keg or a, or a few growlers of beer. And then we'd drink those at the end of the night. And um, it's hard not to love, you know, fall in love with beer doing stuff like that. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Um, what So what was the uh, the Austin beer scene like in 2011-ish? Oh, it was much smaller than it is now for sure. Sort of. I mean, I think this has always been a town that has consumed a lot of beer, but there's just not always been a lot of local beer options. And that was one of the things that made us think that Austin was a great place to actually try to open up a brewery um, besides, you know, growing up here and and it just happened to be at our hometown. We just lucked out that we looked around like, wow, there's only, I think at the time, like in Travis County, um, where, where Austin's located, there were six or seven active brewing licenses when we opened up. And now I think there's over 80. So it's changed a lot in a pretty short amount of time. But to say there was, there was, um, there was not a ton of, of uh, local representation when we opened. Thankfully, it helped us out quite a bit. Uh, that's that's a good big change. Um, I mean, I feel like even since I was last here pre-COVID, things have changed a lot. Not necessarily just because of closures due to COVID, but just the the scene in general and the growth of the city somehow grew even more. I was surprised to see that. Um, tell me a little bit about the the neighborhood that we're in. So yeah, I mean, we this is traditionally when we opened up, it was just an industrial part of town. And that's kind of the way that Austin zoning works, that breweries are required to be in a certain type of industrial zoning. And and those have always been on that sort of outskirts of town. And is but as the city has grown, the outskirts have pushed, you know, further and further away. And now it almost feels like we're kind of central Austin. Uh, it's changed a lot. And originally we wanted to be up here because uh, one one of the big things we wanted to do from the beginning was self-distribute. So we just we, we deliver all of our beer ourselves, and there's some really great access roads um, here that we can get most places in the city pretty quickly. And also, um, retail tap room was not part of the business plan because it was illegal to have a tap room in Texas when we first opened up. So we we didn't care about uh, foot traffic or or um, or you know attracting people to the area. So we just wanted uh, you know, lots of utilities with cheap rent and, and that's why we chose this place. But as the city has grown around us, this is actually one of the, I think probably the best places to actually have a brewery in town now. So we, we really lucked out that way. I was uh, hanging out with some people, some people last night and they referred to this general area as the Bruberhood. Is that something that's common? I have not heard it referred to it that way, but it makes total sense. And like I said, it, you kind of see these clusters of breweries around town and it's because of those traditional zoning areas. And that, I think that that's why there's only a couple of parts of town where breweries are allowed to exist. That's excellent. Um, so for somebody who doesn't know what Austin Beer Works is, or maybe even hasn't been to experience Austin Beer, just can you, what what, what is your all shtick? Uh, what's, what are you known for? What is this facility like? You know, I... Thinking back to the beginning, and we went through all these kind of branding exercises, which was actually really, really helpful and important to figure out who we wanted to be and who we thought who th- who we thought we were and who we wanted to grow into. And um, these two words kept popping up, and we kind of built a brand identity and and really kind of a brewing philosophy around it. And it was bold and clean, like those two words. We tried to distill it down. So we liked we've always liked really big flavors, and we've liked big hoppy beers, but also we've always you know been really big on on clean lager beer too, and a lot of you can say, you know, tra- you know, goes back to the climate of Texas and it being hot 
all the time. And but we like I don't know. So big flavors that that finish crisp and clean. And I, I would say that if if I could choose what other people thought about us, or at least thought about our beers, it would be it would it would be that. Um, but then as a personality of a brewery, gosh, I, I think that that it was never intentional. I think we just sort of, uh, we're just a bunch of silly people that have attracted other silly people <laughs> and silly customers too. And, uh, and have just sort of run with it. And it was never an intent, uh, you know, an intention to be like, we're going to be the silly wacky brewery, but it just sort of, I think, I think if you ask a lot of outside perception of what we are, I think it's just a bunch of goofballs running around screaming, making zoo noises and, you know, and beer comes out the other end. Yeah. I'll definitely echo that statement is only being here, you know, five months. Uh, I think it was by week two, um, the office and most of the people here knew everything about me, um, because they make you feel comfortable. Um, you don't have to hide who you are. And, uh, there are definitely some stories of me being weird and unique and, uh, <laughs> she fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it definitely has that culture of like, you, you know, no need to pretend to be someone you're not, you know, come in here. If you don't own salt and pepper shakers as a 27 year old female, that's, they're going to give you crap for it, but yeah. it's out yeah. of love. And that might be me. Is that just like a question during the interview process? Hey, okay. Your credentials are very good. Also, uh, what kind of salt and pepper shakers do you have? Well, we have joked that that question's being added because everyone was incredibly surprised that I did not own salt and pepper shakers at my apartment. It's just fascinating, really. But, yeah, yeah, I guess it's just, I have since then, since purchase, salt and pepper shakers. But they're just empty. They're like nothing's inside of them. They're just there for they show. They still have the wrap on them. <laughs> I haven't taken the the plastic seal off. So yeah, Kenzie. So for the folks that have actually, you know, we'll go back and listen to these old episodes before, you were obviously living in Kentucky at the time, and that's how we know each other. Um, and you've since moved on to work at this brewery. So obviously, like something caught your attention with this opportunity in this brewery. Without like, I mean, you're gonna end up giving kind of like a like somewhat of a kiss-ass answer but like Cliche, what yes. yeah like what was that that initial draw for you with that first impression um you know they've it's a brewery that's been around for you know 12 years um and just having that you know experience of like knowing how this industry works in austin um is really it was intriguing to me um, I actually visited here before I got the job or um, started interviewing for, for, it, for it. Thought, you know, the taproom was a really cool space. Um, it's, I don't want to say it's, you, I don't want to use the word old, but, you know, it's we're 10 plus years. And I would say most of the breweries nowadays are five plus years, mm -hmm. um, you know, hitting that boom, you know, back in 2015 as the lights go out and for your <laughs> Patreon watchers, um, you know, it, it has a different feel to the taproom. It's really homey. I feel like I go to a lot of breweries now and it, it just feels very like straight out of a magazine or a hotel lobby. Cause they're trying to, you know, you know, make everything look pretty and clean. But when I walked in here, I felt, it just felt homey. It felt, I don't want to say lived in cause that sounds bad, but, um, yeah, it just, it had a different feel to it than some of the other, you know, breweries that have been around. The staff is incredible and um, the bartenders and, you know, those are, those are my employees now. And it was yeah. like, I could just see myself not only living here in Austin, but working for this brewery. And it, it was awesome to, you know, get this job and live here now. And I loved, feels like I've been here for like three years and it's only been five months. <laughs> you've, you've crammed three years yes. worth of work into yeah five months for sure. But it's funny. I don't know. I, you know, it's funny to, I, we still don't, it's like myself, I guess. I don't think of myself as an old person, 
until I see a picture of myself or whatever, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not 20 anymore or whatever. It feels the same way with the brewery. We don't feel like an established brewery. And we, we, in a lot of ways we feel still, still feel like a startup, which is, I know not true. So it's always interesting to hear that other perspective. Uh, and I know it's true, but yeah, we're, we're kind of, we kind of are old now, which is cool. Uh, but it just reminded me of like when we opened, you know, we started off on the building next door to us and then expanded into this side. And one of the big concerns was it's going to feel too clean and too new and too shiny. And people are used to this old side and it's because it's not lived in. Uh, and I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. So, so now it's dirty enough to uh, actually feel. Uh, I always like say if I don't see a cobweb up in a corner somewhere, I don't trust this brewery. Sure. <laughs> Granted, I clean all the cobwebs <laughs> here, but sometimes they just look too new and too clean. And mm -hmm. it just, it, it, I don't know. It just it's doesn't that, feel it's over beer yes. sometimes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, this is uh, something I kind of like to talk about briefly um, with some folks, but COVID changed a lot for so many breweries across the nation. Um, and laws change constantly just depending on the city or neighborhood that you were living in. Um, what was your all's pivot during COVID? And did any of those pivots are they still around right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say the biggest one, and we got so fortunate with with timing of everything. But Texas, Texas was the last the last state in the country to allow beer to go sales from breweries. So basically, to allow people customers to come and buy a six pack or a four pack or whatever and, and bring it home with them. We were the only state where that wasn't allowed, and we after gosh 12, 14 years of lobbying you know, our, our legislature, we finally got that done in, um, uh, gosh, when did it become so 20, 2018. So right before, basically right before COVID hit, I think it was September, September of 2018. And then, um, no, 19. Yeah. And then COVID shut everything down. So, but what it allowed us to do, thankfully was we, we were, you know, the law changed, we knew it was changing. So we sort of built the infrastructure, we got the coolers ready and everything else to be able to offer beer to go. And that, and then, and then COVID comes and shuts down our tap room. So people, guests can't come and have a beer here anymore. The tap room, you know, I mean, it's sort of the heart and soul of the brewery. It's a, uh, a relatively small piece of the overall volume we do, but it's huge for, you know, I mean, it's a lot more profitable to sell somebody a beer straight to them than it is to have to distribute to a bar. And, um, and also just from the customer brewery kind of relationship building, everything, it's huge it's a huge part of having that direct connection with somebody. Um, but that was the big pivot of we switched, you know, our tap room stuff from people can't come to the tap room. Well, all right, well, we can, we can sell them beer to go. And we made an effort to have a new beer released every week. And partly for our team, just because we, you know, we wanted just to keep people engaged and have new ideas and have new exciting things to be doing all the time. Even though overall volumes were way down, we could still do fun experimental stuff. And same thing for the customers. We wanted to give them a reason to, uh, and think, I mean, can't say enough about how much the community came to support us during that time. They made an effort to come out and buy, buy our stuff, which was kept, that's why we're still here. But we wanted to keep, give them a reason to keep coming back. So that was a big thing. Just like, let's just keep getting these new beers. We design new labels every week. And it was just a huge, that was it. Like that, that, that you know, that was like 90% of, of my day to day of that time was, was uh, trying to keep these new, you know, pipelines of new beers coming out and keep people engaged. And, um, you know, and, and we're still here. It was awesome. And I just want to, you know, Graham, you mentioned it, but Texas didn't allow beer to go until 2018. And so moving here from Kentucky to Texas and learning that, it was kind of 
kind of crazy that breweries up until 2019 could not sell their beer to go. So um, that's one thing I, you know, like to, you know, talk about, especially uh, for audiences outside the state of Texas, just how, just imagine breweries back in Kentucky pre-2018 and you couldn't get their beer to go. Um, and obviously that was huge for Texas breweries during the pandemic, you know, saved most of them. And I'd be crazy to think if that didn't get passed during that session, what would have happened to breweries during the pandemic? So what's the next law that you're trying to, you know, what's the next change for Texas breweries that's going to be for the better? Oh gosh. I'm, I feel like there's probably a long list of things that we would like, but that was, that was actually one of the sort of concessions that we made on the beer to go thing is like, it had just been such a contentious battle. And I think the legislators were tired, tired of hearing from us and the distributors and the other, you know, and the retailers and everybody else was, everybody's just tired of talking about beer and trying to pass big sweeping changes. We all just agreed, this is going to, let's work together. We'll pass this thing and then let's chill out for 12 years. No more. Let's not do any other big changes. So, and honestly, we're, we're fairly happy with that. There's, there's a few small, you know, just, um, small tweaks that will help, help efficiencies and help, help every tier. But that's really kind of just minutia of uh, big picture stuff. I think we're actually decently happy with where things are right now. Shameless plug. If you want to hear an answer to this, listen to the boys are from Martin podcast with Caroline Wallace, the executive director of the Texas craft brewers guild. Oh man. Well, yeah, she can be way less. <laughs> I did ask her that me. same question, yeah. but it's a good I also, one. I also want to mention, uh, one of the things with the beer to go, um, a person is only allowed to buy one case of beer to go. So if someone walks in and want two cases of our Pearl snap, you know, we have to sadly say no, or yeah, it's only it's, 288. It's 288 fluid ounces per person per day. Hmm. Yeah. Is there, is there a method for tracking that? Like what stops me from just like walking in when you all open, grabbing a case and then like eight hours later grabbing one again. That's the interesting thing. It's not really a 24 hour time period. I think it's calendar day. So you could come in at 10 PM and then 10 a.m. Well, that's whatever. It doesn't matter. Really oh, matter. No, I mean, but, like, I mean, in, but like, yes, in the same, uh, our, in the same our, day like, though. Our POS software can track mm -hmm. driver's licenses and, and credit cards and we'll send up a red flag if, if somebody exceeds that limit. And, and the nice thing is most people know about that. Sure. Um, or, you know, we have to call them, text them, Hey, you can only pick up one case of Sun Shovel, but you can go to HEB down the street and get as much as you like. Yep. And then we'll see you tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to need that extra. You're going to need that second case by then. It's it's uh, it's Thursday and you're going to want that for Sunday, you know. Um, so <clears throat> there are a couple beers uh, in front of us as we talk about beers to go. Um, let's share one if, if you'd like. Um, what, sure. what, is, what is it? Um yeah, the beer we have, it's it's one that we just really, you know, it's actually one of the beers that, that we made during uh, during the lockdowns. Uh, it's called Concise, and it's basically a, um, it says pale lager on the can. It's You could call it a German-style Pilsner. I would say it's very, it has German, you know, all German ingredients and German brewing techniques. Really, if I had to sum it up, it's just a really delicious lager beer. <laughs> I, I love the can. We were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, but this is basically the can is basically just like a, a brewer, brewer's recipe. Uh, you have the grain bill, you have the amount, you have the percentage of like, okay, this is the Mayflower pills that we have in this. And then you look down and you talk about the, uh, I'm just reading this label as I talk, but uh, mash profile. 
fermented at 50 degrees condition at 60 degrees, chilled 32, it's mash already, out yeah. at 170. Like this is a very detailed brewer's recipe right here on the can. That's literally like basically the template for our um, for our recipe sheets. And it says exactly how how we made the beer, what's in it. Um, and yeah, if you so if you wanted to make this yourself, you could you could take this label and scale it to whatever size you wanted and, and try to make the same thing. That's not, you know, that's something I, I guess it's kind of cliche too, but how open the industry is and how op- you know open it is to sharing um, recipes and ingredients and everything else. And also, um, gosh, I you know, we talk about that a lot too. Of if if you give somebody the exact recipe to your most popular beer, are they going to have the same sales as that beer has? Almost guaranteed not. Like there's so much weird magic that goes into a, a successful brand for for whatever reason, and you can. You can, um, you know, you could take one beer and call it something else, and it might tank, or it might, it might go from a dud to a to an all star, and you never know, like, what resonates with the customer and what name fits, and what how you how you approach the branding and everything else. Um, so this was our also, but we, you know, we get those emails, I say on a weekly or monthly basis of of homebrewers saying, hey, this is this is my favorite beer. Mm-hmm. Will you give me some tips of how to brew it? So we wanted to kind of create this. Um, I don't know, convention with this label of, hey, let's just start actually putting our recipes on the beer itself. And if somebody really likes it, then they can go and, and recreate it themselves or tweak what they think could be better about it and, and make it on their own. But it's just kind of another way to interact with with customers. Yeah, that's that's great. And uh, yeah, and for beer like this, there's not much to it, really. It's a, it's a simple simple uh, beer, simple ingredient, simple recipe. It just, uh, that's what I really, really like about this beer in particular and, and beers like it. It's sort of a, a showcase of if you buy really nice, high quality ingredients and then treat them in a very, um, you know, very slow, sort of dedicated way, a great, a great thing's going to come out on the other end. So it's there's not much to say about the beer other than I think it's just a fantastic beer. As as we're drinking this, um, can you share a little bit about? Um, you know, your the actual brew house, like kind of the the setup that you all have, and how many barrels kind of system you're working on. Sure, I mean we're we're super fortunate to have, um, two you know two systems, and both really kind of oversized for for what they typically uh, need to be. But our our main production system, it's a sixty barrel, it's a sixty barrel three vessel brew house that we actually bought from Odell Brewing Company. Mm. Uh, we were when we were expanding and we knew we were, you know, we were growing into a new space, we were, um, <clears throat> that was one of the, the, you know, the big budget items. We're going to buy this brand new German brew house, top, super top of the line, very, very fancy, very, very expensive. We were super excited about it, but we're like, gosh, this, this is going to take up the whole budget for this thing. And we're going to have to, you know, basically make people sit on pallets in our tap room and <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, there's no room for anything, you know, for anything else. And then, uh, I think it was during, uh, actually during a GBF uh, trip, we went up there and and went to visit uh, our friends at Odell, uh, which we do every year. And they, and they were, they we were talking to them about our plans for the year, and they're like, well, actually, we we have uh, we're we're upgrading our system too, and we're going to be putting this one on the market pretty soon. And and uh, you know, if you're interested, make an offer, and and we did, and they <laughs> accepted it, and we're like, well, we just saved, we we can build a tap room now, you know, so it. And not to say that it's not a super fancy system. It's it may it has made a lot of award winning beer. And we coming from Odell, we knew that's actually something we said to ourselves, set a standard like, 
if, if we're not making good beer on this thing, that's, that is, this is our fault. Like <laughs> we know this thing makes fantastic beer. So, so it's a beautiful, you know, classic American stainless steel, you know, it, it's going to last forever. I hope, I hope it goes to, uh, you know, five different breweries after, after us, like it, it'll last forever if you take care of it. Uh, but we also have a 20 barrel pilot system, which is huge for a pilot system for most places. That's more than it's bigger than <laughs> I'd say that that's bigger than probably 75% yeah. of breweries main systems. I see, I see a pilot system. I'm just like, Oh, we got a three to five barrel system. Like it's, and that totally fell into our lap. We, we had been operating on about as basic of a seven barrel system as you can possibly imagine. That was not keeping up with the tap room demand. So we knew we wanted to upgrade it. Like we were looking at a, you know, say 12 to 15 barrel, but this thing just sort of fell into our lap and lap. And it was a offer that was too good. You know, the, the, it was a brewery, brew pub that sort of broke up because the partnership dissolved and, and there was a lot of bad blood. It was sort of like a messy divorce mm-hmm. type deal. And uh, and we just had, we were it was something that we were looking for, that we had the money ready to go right on the time that we needed it. And we went, flew out to, actually to Colorado. Funny that they actually think about that. Both of our brew houses came from Colorado. <laughs> um, and uh, so looked at it that day. It's like, yes, this is fantastic. It's exactly as advertised. And we bought it that day. And, and uh, it's been a fantastic, you know, like I said, it probably kept us uh, afloat during during the COVID lockdowns. Kenzie, can you speak a little bit about your experience from going? I mean, you you worked at a pretty large brewery organization before mm-hmm. coming here, but you, you worked out of a tap room that didn't necessarily have the brewing equipment in it. Right. So, what is it like working for a couple smaller breweries or or, or a tap room brewery without the equipment to this huge operation here? Well, first of all, it's amazing. Um, I love being around production. Um, and I think that's, you know, maybe one of the reasons, well, maybe it is one of the reasons why, you know, this made sense, uh, for me to make this jump here, um, being around production, it's, it's very different. So at Highwire, your satellite tap room, you know, all you're doing is ordering your, you know, you're, you're submitting orders for, you know, kegs that are available through distribution. Um, being a manager, um, with production is you are, you're, in constant contact with the head brewer, not constant, but continually talking, you know, whether it's what beers are ready to go or kegged and need to be put on, um, you know, we, you know, working with, you know, talking to him about beers that didn't move and, you know, maybe we shouldn't brew that again or, you know, or beers like that, um, showing him numbers of, you know, IPAs are still killing it. (laughs) IPAs are not dead. Um, and I can see numbers through that. And, you know, it's unfortunately, you know, not unfortunately, but, you know, it's, it's still something that people love to drink and, you know, you always get tired of brewing IPAs and, but, you know, our top selling beers most weekends are IPAs. Um, not right now, actually our Monocore Oktoberfest is crushing it, but, um, you know, just being around production and, you know, working with them on a, on a daily basis of, you know, beers that are being brewed and, you know, you know, also like our beers being returned and having that conversation with them, like, Hey, this beer is not selling well. It's being returned. You know, let's have everyone taste it. Should we pull it? Um, so those conversations are happening weekly, which is just incredibly different than working at a uh, satellite tap room where you are not working day to day with a production team. And I love it. I love working with the brewers. Um, you know, obviously, Customer feedback is very different than than like a brewer or somebody on the Austin Beer Works team, but 
it's, you know, you kind of have to have those tough conversations with them. Like, Hey, you know, I know this is your baby and you loved this beer and this was your idea, but I think we've got to pull it. It's, you know, and it's, it's different and it sucks to have those conversations with people to kind of, you know, and not, not ruin their day or, you know, be like, Hey, you know, but mm. it's, it's part of the job and, um, you know, can't have a beer sitting there for many months. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm one to complain a lot online about breweries, you know, you know, there being more than just the IPA. Obviously I understand that what sells is ultimately as a business is what you want to have. Uh, people complain a lot on social media, particularly on, on Twitter. Uh, before I even know what knew what Austin beer works was, I followed you Graham on, on Twitter. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I think yeah. we all did. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. Um, it, it was just, uh, like you were like one of the beer guys to follow. Um, and then later on I was just like, okay, Austin beer works. And then I started making the connection ABW. Oh, that's what that means. Duh. Um, so why you, you do seem pretty comfortable on Twitter and you also, I believe run the breweries Twitter as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get to do all that, all that fun stuff. So why specifically Twitter? What, what speaks to you about that platform? Me personally, I feel like that is the... I mean, maybe it's for my personality, but I feel like it's just the best place to actually have a conversation. And it's where I have the best conversations. And I feel like actually the most productive conversations. And I feel like it's where people actually engage the most. I like what I especially like about it. Like just as I'm just saying as a side hobby or thing I'm really interested in is astronomy. And I can, I've actually sent a, you know, just replied to, one of the world's, you know, f you know, foremost astronomers about something. I was like, wow, that's super cool. And then he'll like my tweet and reply. And, and it's like, how do you, that's one of the, I, I feel like you don't get that type of interaction and conversation on other platforms as you do. So that's what appeals to me. It's basically allows you to be like a, whatever you're nerdy about, <laughs> direct access to the, the best in that, whatever that niche thing is. So that, that's what I, that's what I love about it. And I feel like it's more constructive too. I feel like I can actually have a sort of a conversation on there versus, um, you know, Facebook or Instagram where it's just sort of, there's this one singular post that becomes its own ecosystem that can just really get toxic super quickly. Um, versus I don't, and, and not to say that Twitter doesn't have its own type of uh, toxic sure. content, but but I feel like it's easier to ignore and I don't know, it's more community oriented, but for whatever people are, for whatever reason, I feel like I, my people are on Twitter and I just feel more comfortable there. Beer Twitter's huge. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, Kinsey, that's also, I think our first conversation yeah. happened on, on Twitter as well. So you, you build this community of, of your niche, uh, whether it be beer, whether it be astronomy. Um, and, uh, you, you do get to reach out and talk to folks, but you also get to talk to the brand. So, one thing that I'm noticing, though, is that a lot of businesses and a lot of breweries have let their Twitter account go by the wayside. Like sometimes you, you go to a Twitter page for a brewery and you see like, oh, they haven't tweeted since 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not just breweries, but like that's a lot of different businesses don't take advantage of that of that space. Do you have any thoughts on on that from the business side? Yeah, I mean, I guess really you're you're always sort of uh, chasing where where you get the most um, interactions, you know, um, the most impressions, the most, and really, it, I, I guess, you know, the point of all of that stuff is to translate into money, right? Mm -hmm. You want to, uh, you want to, whatever you're doing, you want it to come back into sales. And that doesn't have to be a direct thing, like say, all right, if I post this, it's going to result in this number of dollars spent. But I think it's sort of building up a personality and a relationship uh, with, with your 
customers or creating new customers through the content. Um, but I think Twitter, I, and that I guess that's sort of the answer is I think everybody's sort of chasing where where they think people are looking at stuff and interacting with things and and spending more the more you know spending more time on the on the platforms where they're getting more interactions and Twitter for for better or worse I mean it seems like it's it's really hard to build an audience from scratch nowadays mm-hmm. um, and that you're probably if you're a brewery starting today you're probably better off spending your time and energy and thought on on TikTok and YouTube videos and and, and this this type of content because I think other you know otherwise you're just you're it's already kind of too late for the, some of these pro- platforms. Yeah, I mean, you, not only are you posting, but you also are engaging and monitoring and checking reviews and whatnot. So it, it does take up a lot of time. You're not just setting it, saying it out there and, and posting it and forgetting it. Yeah. Um, I will say just a little plea for businesses is, or rather maybe some insider knowledge, is if you want to get in front of media, that is where media hang out. Whether it is your specific niche or your your hometown news uh, journalists, like that's where they're hanging out. That's where they're seeing things first. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, from a PR angle, that's what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking about breweries not being on on Twitter specifically. But I understand that it takes time and effort too. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I think that's a great point. Like, it's kind of what I was alluding to earlier that the nerds of whatever thing, like the people that are really into whatever, I think they have their own Twitter community and, um, the beer, beer has its own, but like you said, journalists, local journalists, they, they have their own too. And it's a really easy way to, to actually connect to the people that, that, um, that you want to connect with for, for whatever reason, you just have to know who to look, who to look towards. And I think, I mean, and that's a smart way of approaching it. I think most people just want the maximum views or the maximum likes or the whatever, but that doesn't necessarily translate into finding the right people that you're actually trying to, uh, you know, trying to find with the information that you want to put out. Well said. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, one quick question, though. Uh, when I say Louisville, Kentucky, what comes to mind? Well, Kenzie. Now, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah she's, she's, course, she's been, she's been, uh, you know, Kentucky has always been, I've never, I've never been to Kentucky and it's always been one of those fascinating states for me and Funny that I, just recently, and talk about Twitter content, just just something I if I'm bored or whatever. I did, but I, I I made a map of you know my called, said my understanding of the United States, bake, breaking the you know the country into regions of the Midwest and the Plains and I saw that Texas actually. is its own thing. I got more comments on Kentucky, which I think I included in the South as a but it's and it's not I know it's not and but but you know. Can, it's its own. It's very much its own thing. I made Texas its own thing. I think Kentucky seems like its own thing too. It's this weird cross section of cultures that you probably drive across the state and you'll think you're in three different regions. And I think that that those those are always my favorite areas of these weird cross section cultures where you, there's all these different kinds of things going on. Plus the you know I'm a you know as a geology major, there's really interesting Appalachia geology going through there and and. Um, and you know the music's great. Gosh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm very interested in Kentucky, but I but when you say Louisville, I've never. I know that I think of Louisville, which I know is not the way you're supposed to say okay, it. Yeah. I think <laughs> about all right. I've got to say Louisville. I've trained them. Don't worry. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that when the name when I hear just anything Kentucky, I'm actually just kind of like my interest is peaked because it's just a fascinating place for me. It is. There, there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, just as an aside, and this is a question I don't know the answer to, but how many counties are in Texas? Actually, that's a great question. 
that I don't know the answer to too. If I if I had to, somebody was pressing me to guess how many counties are in Texas, I would maybe say two hundred. Okay, Kenzie's looking it up for us right now. Yeah, how many? Um, because this is something I'm very curious about. But it's funny that you know. I'm sure you ask a lot of people this question, you know, they think of bourbon horse racing. So it's, it's, it's kind of refreshing to have people not think of just those two things. Yeah. Um, because, you know, as Michael knows, you know, when you work in the industry in Kentucky, tourism is huge there, but for bourbon. Um, and so you get a lot of people who will come to do the bourbon trail or visit distilleries and, you know, you can't drink bourbon all day. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's it's cool to hear people not think of the state yeah. just bourbon. Yeah, I mean, as, as a whole, I mean, we've more than tripled the amount of breweries in Kentucky over the last, like, eight years. That stat has changed slightly as time goes on. Um, to answer my own question, uh, over 250 counties uh, in Texas. Texas is pretty big, right? Uh, Kentucky has 120. All right. So that's yeah. just saying, like, and with that, you see a lot of changes in diversity and cult, well, culture specifically mm-hmm. um, from Eastern Kentucky to Western Kentucky, completely different places. South, Southern Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, it was more Cincinnati, Ohio. Louisville is going to be its own thing, too. Uh, so you're right. It is a cross section that's unlike any other. Very, very much some is more Midwest. Some is Southern culture. Yeah, uh, it's it's fun. Uh, the other thing I like to bring up about Kentucky, though, is that uh, do you know the Kentucky Common? The style? The style. Oh, I they mean, know. Ken, oh, yeah. Okay, Ken, Kenzie's a strong advocate. And it's a style that we've, you know, I think like any brewery, you see the kind of the cool thing of the day or whatever. I remember when Kentucky Common became like, it's a now now it's a category and now yeah. it's a, you know, and but we've never, we've never made one that is being lobbied for been heavily. I pressuring our brewer to make one. It's, yeah. just it's put, happening. Just put it on that small But we have a name. System. We just, we, it's coming. Don't worry. All right. Is it is it the uh, the, the Kinsey Common or something? Or no, that's a great K- name. But we'll, when we brew it again after that, we'll name it that. Uh, that's that's great. I'm glad to hear that's coming. That's uh, the, I've asked that question a few times now on the podcast, and this is the first time anybody's actually said yes. We well, are doing. We're doing. And that's it. because of me. But they had heard some of you had heard a bit before. We've heard of it, and it seems like anything. I mean, uh, on paper, it. I don't think you get the probably the full experience talking to somebody that's had one and. And is very passionate about it and say, this is actually a great thing. There's something behind it. That's what's kind of inspiring to do one. So, yeah, I, I've told them when I go home for the holidays, I will bring in some back for them to try. Love that. Um, well, you will be happy to know that I actually have some that uh, you can share with your folks here that I just haven't given you yet. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Even better. I just don't have it with me today because I'm an idiot and forgot it. So on that <laughs> note, Graham Kinsey, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. I know it takes some time out of your day on a Monday. So it's very nice. Oh, my pleasure. Thank thank you. And are, do you know what the are the majority of your listeners in Kentucky? No, no. It's actually all spread out. Um, I want to say, long story short, this used to be another podcast that I had. Then I just kind of rebranded it when my friends and myself did this one. Uh, so that was all over the place. Uh, California... Oregon, Kentucky, I'm listing them in order. Uh, Ohio, Indiana, West Virginia. Where people drink beer. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, hello to everybody and thanks for listening if you made it this far. My pleasure to be here.